Good morning. The scripture readings this morning are first of all from Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There, the thrones for judgment stand, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your prosperity. Our second scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. And uh, as Colin pointed out, we're sadly back to uh, literally preaching to the choir, well, with a band in this case, and the pastors. And um, one thing this week, as uh, you may have uh, heard during Barry's prayer, uh, that Mark Irwin uh, passed away uh, just this past uh, week, or is a, a week and a couple days ago. And uh, one thing that's Anyway, it's just very sad uh, to, she is someone whom we will deeply miss. She's someone who I have deeply missed in our not being together over these past months. So the thought of not seeing her again is is, uh, very hard. And so our prayers are with those of you as well who are mourning, especially if this is the first that you've heard uh, that uh, mourning, that friendship, that great loss to our uh, community. Um, though at the same time we do celebrate that we will see her again and that she, um, she is f- freed from the ailments um, with which she had lived for uh, a long time. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, say that. This time of year in North America, many of us reflect on war and peace, although I don't know how many of us actually have read the book, War and Peace, but we do all reflect on it this time of year. With Remembrance Day here in Canada and Veterans Day in the United States, and uh, we give pause to remember the sacrifices that many gave serving in the military to battle our historical enemy to protect our freedoms. Sadly, this time of year is also the only time of year that we collectively pay national attention to the brutalities of war. and to the lifelong effects that it has on veterans who serve in war-torn countries, who return home with all kinds of mental and emotional and physical challenges, 
uh, debilitating PTSD, of course, being the most familiar. It's the time that we also remember how poorly we as a nation care for those um, who are riddled uh, with these terrible effects of having served. Remembrance Day also serves as a bit of a smack in the face, at least for me and for many of us, the idea that remembering the realities of war is an act of remembering something that we have never actually experienced. And yet for millions across the globe, it is still their day-to-day reality today. And uh, think of what it would be like to be in Ethiopia uh, right now. It is very good that we pause and remember lest we forget and pause and remember so that we can learn uh, and discover that which we have never known. At the same time, while we pause and remember, we also need to be careful that our remembrance doesn't glorify war, that it doesn't put a misleading positive spin on what has been done in the name of protecting our freedoms. One story that I always find powerful is the story of what is often called the Christmas Truce. Uh, just a few months into World War I, on Christmas Eve 1914, British, Belgian, and French troops, alongside of their German em- enemies, they came out of their trenches. They laid down their weapons and they had this moment of peace in that no man's land in the, what was the middle of fighting. They shared food and alcohol. They sang Christmas songs. They played soccer. There have been movies, and, and oddly, uh, the most powerful thing that I've ever seen is actually uh, uh, an advertisement by a supermarket company uh, that is trying to portray this, move, this moment. It's a beautiful and moving thought that enemies laying down their weapons to celebrate their shared humanity in this momentary defiance of the war machine that is asking them to deny the humanity of their enemy and even deny their own humanity. And they are fighting and resisting this war machine for a moment to allow their humanity to break through. It's beautiful, and it inspires hope. Now, what, of course, this commercial doesn't show you is that within hours, in some cases, uh, before it even, as people were coming out of the trenches, they would go back to killing one another. They would go back to fighting a war. This was only a couple months into a years-long war. They would go back into the trenches, trying to kill one another again. Though, of course, now that they've actually seen the humanity of their enemy, they are probably going back to that with more regret and and with worse PTSD because they've now faced that their enemies are not things but are humans. If you want to have war, it is better not to acknowledge the humanity of those you're attacking. It makes it harder to kill them. Sadly, this is a lesson we have learned too well. Most of us in Canada aren't actually out killing our enemies, but we sure have made a habit of dehumanizing them. 
Now, of course, social media is simply the most obvious playground for this, although it is spread throughout uh, our culture. The amount of insulting and cutting down of people who have different ideas is overwhelming. You don't have to be, you'd have to be an idiot to support so-and-so. You'd have to be an idiot to support Trump. You'd have to be an idiot to trust slow Joe Biden. You'd have to, if you, you don't really believe in the Bible if you support the rights of LGBTQT community. You don't really believe in the Bible if you vote for someone who's pro-abortion. Liberal, conservative, right, left, Starbucks, Tim Hortons. Or more importantly and humanely, Starbucks, Tim Hortons, or the small local business coffee shop. And our at-peace country, now more than ever, is divided along these political, ideological, and economic lines. And we're coming face-to-face with the ways that we are, have been consistently divided along racial lines that we thought weren't that strong, but are really there. And instead of seeking peace, we get in fights on the internet. Instead of coming out of our trenches to discover the humanity of those people, we dig deeper in and we fire more artillery into uh, the the other's camps. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Over the past couple months, we've been looking at the relationship between spiritual growth and emotional well-being. And this morning, I want to challenge us to consider the important place that peacemaking has in our spiritual growth and our emotional well-being. From the beginnings of the Old Testament and woven into the fabric of the Jewish faith is this concept of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that often in our Bibles is translated as peace. However, simply using the English word for peace is far from adequate. For many of us, the word peace means an absence of conflict. We either think of it in terms of the opposite of war or fighting, or we think of it simply as a personal thing and peace as an internal quietness. Phrases uh, like Philippians 4-7 that says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When we hear phrases like this, we hear them as being simply about an internal peace, a peace that we find from quiet meditation. And while this is a part of it, and this is a peace that we need to pursue, this is not the fullness of shalom peace. Shalom in the early Old Testament writings and in rabbinic traditions, that's traditions in, the, in rabbi, rabbinic traditions, is witnessed in sacred Jewish literature, uh, such as the Talmud, and, and I'm pronounced, I apologize, this is going to be totally pronounced wrong, but the Talmud and the Halakhat. These are laws and ordinances of the Jewish people that were taught, are taught by rabbis. And many of these actually go back earlier than the writing of the first five books of the Old Testament. And in these Jewish writings and traditions in the Old Testament, shalom is not simply peace as an absence of conflict, but it actually means well-being. It is being whole. It is being intact. 
Shalom, often expressed in Scripture as a gift of the Lord, is God's gift of salvation, which causes earthly peace and well-being. It is right relationship with God, with others, and with creation. Rabbinical shalom, peace, is not about an end of strife. It is not only about an end to strife between nations. It includes that. But it is to be an end of strife and division between people as individuals. In our current Christian language, shalom is to be the way of our spirituality. Holistic, integrated well-being between people, between countries, between people and creation, between people and God. Holistic, integrated well-being between the self and the self. Wisdom itself, often representing the feminine side of God in the Old Testament, wisdom itself, the Bible tells us, leads to peace. Proverbs 3.17 says that wisdom's ways are pleasant ways and all of her paths are shalom, are peace. All of wisdom's ways are pleasant ways. All of wisdom's paths are well-being for the other. In Jewish writings of the Talmud, they teach that the entire Torah, so the entire first five books of the Old Testament the entire Torah is given on account of the ways of peace. Imagine for us reading those five books, if we read them as their purpose is to give an account of the ways of peace, how we would read them differently, even how we would teach our children those stories differently. And when the Old Testament looks towards a Messiah, a future ruler, it is towards this way of shalom, this right relationship of well-being, of shalom, towards which the prophets look. Isaiah 9, 6, many um, those who have celebrated Christmas are familiar with this one. For us, to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 32, the Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be Shalom. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. Now, it makes sense that when we come to hear the teachings of the rabbi Jesus, that he continues this rabbinical tradition. That he continue this teaching of shalom as a well-being and of righteousness. As Jen read for us, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he rose to redeem and to resurrect the wholeness of humanity, the very first word that Jesus says to his followers is peace. Shalom. Now I'd like to read the, one, the, that John passage again, but this time from a translation called the Tree of Life translation. And this is a Messianic Jewish translation of the Bible. Verse 19 says, It was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were locked 
where the disciples were for fear of the Judean leaders. Yeshua, that's Jesus, Yeshua came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Shalom Alechem. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Shalom Alechem. I'm sorry, I know I'm pronouncing it totally wrong, but that's, my, that's the best I got. Shalom Alechem. Peace be with you. Wholeness, unity, peace, forgiveness, righteousness be with you. Other words of Jesus, your faith has saved you, go in shalom. Blessed are the shalom makers, for they will be called children of God. When you enter a house, first say shalom to this house. It is not simply saying peace, let's not fight with each other. It's saying peace, well-being, fullness of well-being and righteousness be yours. And of course, Jesus' first disciples continued this rabbinical teaching, teaching his understanding of peace as the way of shalom, as integrated, holistic, relational well-being. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. May God himself, the God of peace, Sanctify you, make you holy through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. A picture of wholeness of humanity, spirit, soul, and body is being purified because God is a God of shalom. Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There are two passages which I think work beautifully in helping to show this place of peace in our spiritual lives as followers of Jesus. One is James 3.18 James 3.18, of course I marked the wrong uh, spot in my Bible here, says peacemakers, actually let me go back to 17, wisdom that comes from heaven. So again, wisdom is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Peacemakers who sow in peace make reap a harvest of righteousness. And then that verse from Isaiah 32 that I read. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. So do you see this fruit of righteousness will be peace. And peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So when we make a peace... We sow peace like a farmer sowing seeds. And the seeds of peace grow into a harvest of righteousness. We sow peace and righteousness grows. And the fruit of that grown righteousness is peace. Peace grows righteousness, which in turn is peace. From a holistic understanding of biblical righteousness, righteousness isn't simply this kind of pious 
living, of, of being, being good or moral. It is right, righteousness is when everything is lived rightly, holy, so pure and perfect, holistically, pure and perfect, integrated of our healed physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional reality. God's big picture, long-term plan of salvation is righteousness. This is the good news. Everything living and relating rightly. The way it was created to do, existing rightly in a purity of infinite love. And that righteousness comes about through sowing peace. We receive that righteousness, that righteousness is grown when we sow peace, and when the righteousness grows, it, the fruit of it, is peace. You want to work on your relationship with God? Seek peace with those around you. Find peace with friend and enemy alike. You want to work on your relationship with other people? Seek peace. With them, with God, and with creation. Our call as followers of Jesus is unquestionably to be people of shalom. Our spiritual growth unquestionably is linked to being shalom makers. Our righteousness unquestionably is equated with our sowing and bearing the fruit of peace. And our holistic well-being and emotional health unquestionably is tied to the pursuit of and the humble need for shalom in, within ourselves, with others, with creation, and with God. So why do we continually pursue ways of division? Why do we sow seeds of discord, division, and conflict? Well, usually... I know when I do it, it's because I think I'm right, <laughs> right? Usually when we are out there attacking, putting down something else, it's because we know we are right. We have the right thing. We are right because they, we think they are wrong. And because, like soldiers at war, we see them not as God's image bearers of beauty and worth, but we see them as fools, as problems, as tools that we could use to accomplish our own agendas or simply obstacles in the way of our own gain. We see others as cardboard cutouts, narrow boxes whose only identity to us is the label that we've written on them. And when we do this, we are unrighteous. We aren't simply caught up. We are unrighteous. We are not living as children of God. We are living as the enemies of righteousness. We need to stop seeing people as others, as them or those people. But instead, we need to be people who pursue shalom. The well-being not only of our friends and those who agree with us, but the well-being shalom of those we disagree with. Those on the other side of the trenches, yes, we need to pursue the well-being of shalom even with our enemies. The same book of the Bible, Ephesians, that tells us make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace is also the book that tells us our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are not the soldiers who are shooting at us from the other trenches. 
But our enemies are evil. The powers of this dark world, the devil, the spiritual darkness that is called the accuser. Battle imagery in the New Testament is always and only against evil. And it is evil and the enemy of God that seeks to bring division, that seeks to break the bond of peace between us, that seeks to divide us from one another, from creation, from God, and that seeks to divide us within ourselves. And so the same writer who tells us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace is the same one who tells us to put on our feet the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. The goodness of Jesus is peace. And we are to be ready to run out of our trenches onto the battleground, not with guns blazing, but with the gift of shalom. A subversive act of war against the powers that call us to fight and attack one another. By offering the gift of well-being to our enemies. Shalom is never offered through violence or through division, but neither is it passive passivism. It isn't simply running to the hills to hide, to, to save yourself and your loved ones from uh, what is out there, uh, to be passive up in the hills, uh, hidden away. But rather, it is actively seeking peace. It is doing the work of peace, sowing seeds of well-being and wholeness. And as we do, we will find ourselves growing in righteousness and wholeness through the Spirit who unites us in the bond of peace. I'd like to offer three quick tour tools to consider for actively pursuing a shalom. Uh, the first is simply listening. It takes great humility and commitment to, be, to do peacekeeping, to listen to people who have different ideas than you. It's easy and it's common to express ramped up opinions, to get caught up in it and, and infuriated in it. That's easy. Listening, on the other hand, requires us to have respect for the other. Even worse... <laughs> Listening shows the other person that you have respect for them. Imagine where we might be if we actually listened to one another. Not just listening to words, but what's behind their words. The more we listen with humility, without losing our temper, the more we mature emotionally and spiritually through humility and mutual edification. It's one of those, you want to do the best thing for yourself, you got to put yourself aside. Second, let's pass the peace. As Jesus regularly greeted others by offering peace to them, offering shalom to them, let us too be intentional to offer peace to others. It is wonderful to bless those that we love and that we meet with shalom, but it can also be, it can be hard at times, especially when offering peace to someone that we have division or disagreement with. You know how we do the passing of peace during worship? Some parts in the early church, the first centuries of the church, at least before the church became part of the military, before that, 
The church, with some parts, would take as long as necessary during worship to practice conflict resolution. They were so committed to peace as an integral part of their spirituality that they would appeal to those in their midst who had enmity with one another. They would appeal to them to make peace with one another, and they would take time to do it during worship. Now, don't worry. We're not going to, once we're all back again, we're not going to start doing that. We're not going to put you into that uncomfortable situation, but we will encourage you to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation. Is there someone that I would struggle to make peace with? And if so, let's actually do it as an act of our spirituality, of righteousness, and of worship. Third, when we are in a place of conflict with one another, let us us be peacemakers, people of shalom. I know when I'm faced with conflict, I want nothing more than to run and hide in the hills. That's the type of pacifist that I am in my uh, knee-jerk reaction. But instead of running, or oppositely, going the other direction, and running into a violent defensive rampage, let's seek ways of approaching conflict, again, with humility and mutual edification. Steve Brown, he's the director of Arrow Leadership Ministries. He has a series of questions that he recommends when facing conflict, and I'd like to end by leaving them with you. I think that these are great questions for anyone seeking to be a peacemaker. I think these are great questions for any of us who want to seek to be humble, for any who want to seek the well-being of not only friends but of enemies as well. I've also put these in the YouTube description for this week um, because there's no way. I'm, I'm going to read them out to kind of give a word. It's kind of a word picture for you to kind of get some thoughts and feelings from. But if you actually want the questions, you can go on the YouTube uh, link below and copy them from there. So these are by Steve Brown. So first, checking your heart. In fact, maybe when we do this, maybe take a moment to think, actually. Is there something in your mind a person, uh, an idea, even a political something. I know that's what's on a lot of our minds these days. A place of conflict, of unrest that you have with someone, something, some issue. And with that in mind, uh, let's, let's I'll read these questions. Check your heart. What are your real motives? What are you afraid of? Are you approaching this conflict with humility and openness to learn? Are you avoiding or facing into the conflict? What responsibility do you take? Are you taking responsibility for someone else's reaction or for someone else's action? How is God calling you to change? Is there someone you need to choose to forgive? Is there someone you need to ask for forgiveness. Are you praying for the other person or persons? Praying for a resolution of the issue? When you are looking back at this in a year from now, what three words do you want to be able to use to describe your response? What will matter to you in a year from now? I find that to be the most challenging one. Engaging in dialogue. Do you need to get more information to clarify facts? 
What assumptions are you making? Are they true? What is the other person's perspective? What is at the heart of their concern? Does the other person feel you have heard them? Have you written down and perhaps even practiced what you want to say? Or perhaps write down and then wait a few minutes before you post it? Are you moving towards those who disagree with you or are you moving away from them? What is your default style toward conflict? Is another style perhaps needed in this situation? For me, the answer is almost always yes. (laughs) Who is praying for unity and protection? Are there systemic issues that need to be addressed to resolve this conflict or to prevent it from reoccurring? Are there steps of forgiveness and restitution needed? And lastly, Steve offers these two, he calls them powerful prayers to pray. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this situation? Lord, how do you want me to respond in order to honor you? So let's stop pursuing ways of division. And when, when we do, we side with the enemy of God. But instead, let us seek the pleasant ways of wisdom, all of which are paths of peace. Shalom Alechem. Peace be with you. Let's pray. Jesus, you have said, told us it is easy to love our friends. Anyone can do that. But that we are to love our enemies. God, help us. Help us to be shalom makers, to be peacemakers. Help us to have the humility to seek mutual edification, to be open to learning. Help us to grow in our emotional maturity that we would respond to conflict, to unrest, not with, uh, with rage or with pulling our guns out. That we would respond by running with the shoes of the gospel of peace to be peacemakers as your children. We pray this in your name. Amen.